What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another action-packed episode of Makers Weekly. My name is Dan Parsons, and I am your host. On this episode, calling in from Paris, France, I speak with Jonathan Parasot, founder of Action Desk. We discuss how Action Desk gives non-programmers the ability to create powerful automations. We also discuss the tactics Jonathan used to get his first customers and why he believes in starting high when it comes to pricing your product. So without further ado, let's welcome Jonathan Parasat. Jonathan, thanks so much for jumping on the show with us. Really looking forward to talking about Action Desk and what you've been up to um, the past couple of years. Do you mind for the listeners giving us an overview on what Action Desk is? Of course. Um, so Action Desk is a software that lets uh, non-technical teams automatically compute data and move them between various tools. So to give you a specific example, uh, you could set up very easily in about 10 minutes an automation um, that would uh, get some data from your database, uh, compute, for example, the number of orders per customer, and then push that data uh, in your CRM, whether it's Salesforce, HubSpot, or another um, software. Got it. So you guys do integrations with uh, third-party platforms. So whether it's a database platform, or I think I even saw, you know, Slack and some CRM companies on there. Uh, what? How many uh, integrations are you guys currently supporting right now? So we currently have seventeen integrations. And what? Um, what goes into those integrations specifically? Like, how do you guys, you know, go about um, connecting with the with those third-party platforms? Yeah, so you can basically do two things uh, with those third-party softwares. The first one is where you can uh, get or import the data. Um, so I gave the example previously of importing the orders uh, data from your database into Action Desk, where you'll be able to visualize that data, uh, like in a spreadsheet, uh, like in a table. Um, and so that's the first thing. And the second thing is where you'll be able to create what we call creating actions uh, in those softwares. So those actions could be triggering a Slack message, uh, sending an email through Gmail, or uh, creating and updating records in, uh, in a CRM, in a billing software, or a customer service software. So it's creating these small um, like micro-automations is, would, would that be a good way to describe it across across different data platforms? Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. Um, how did you come up with this concept? Like, what was the the problem that you are trying to go after when you guys started thinking about building Action Desk? Yeah, um, great question. So, I think the overall problem um, that we're solving is that in the past twenty years, um, you obviously had a big rise in um, software as a service, right? Uh, and we have more and more very specific and very specialized uh, softwares, uh, which is great uh, for many aspects. Uh, but one of the problems it created is that your data is more and more in silos. Uh, so you have some of your data, which is in your own database. Uh, some of it is in your CRM. Uh, some of it in your billing software, whether it's Tripe or another tool, etc., etc. And uh, what I've seen in my previous experiences, um, and that's something that happens pretty much every company in the world, is where some people have to extract manually data uh, to CSV, they gather, gather that data in Excel uh, to then build some things with it, uh, whether it's to uh, build some custom reports or uh, push that data 
back into a system. Uh, and we felt that it was really, it didn't really make sense, uh, you know, in 2017 when we started, uh, when you have uh, all those systems have APIs um, to have, you know, pe people manually wasting time and doing all those uh, manual processes. Um, so we are basically helping companies to get the right data in the right uh, tool uh, and to do that automatically. And yeah, it's really a problem that a pain that I felt before. So I was managing a, a, an e-commerce company and we were using Salesforce as our CRM, Zendesk as our uh, customer support software. Uh, we had a lot of data in our own um, databases and we were constantly uh, you know, exporting that data from those systems um, to refresh all the tools um, that we had uh, to be able to have a kind of a 360 view of what was happening in our business. Um, and, you know, we had several people pretty much full time just doing that. And that really didn't seem to make sense. And it was extremely inefficient. Can you walk through what the first iteration was? Like, how did you go about and, and test uh, that solution before you know building your current production version of Action Desk. Uh, well, the very first iteration we've done was, um, you know, just to make sure that there's actually a need for uh, those kind of things. Uh, we're gonna be, we're just gonna build a a backend. Um, so where there's no interface. Um, as a as a user, you, you don't see anything. Uh, but we just had users who were telling us. On Slack, uh, hey, I would like to get that data uh, from this system to that system. And then, uh, so their interface would basically be a Slack conversation with us. Uh, and then we would hard code the logic in our backend. And then they would have the automations running. And the output would be that they would have those, those data that they needed uh, in, in the right uh, softwares. And that was the first. Um, yeah, the first way for us to make sure that we were not dreaming uh, and that people actually, uh, you know, needed what we wanted to build. Interesting. So the MVP was really you guys doing some manual connections and just just acting as if like you're using Slack as your interface with the customer, um, and you are just doing the jobs that at, at the future version of Action Desk would be doing automatically and allowing the customers to configure uh, those specific automations. Yeah, so the current version, right, is where you have an interface, it looks like a spreadsheet, and you can import data from uh, from softwares, uh, apply some data transformations like you would do in Excel or Google Sheets, and then uh, program the push of data to another system. And uh, obviously, that took a little bit of time to, to build. Uh, and the first situation was where instead of having that interface, they would just specify to us what, they, what, what kind of automations they wanted, and we would just... Uh, hard cut it in our in our backend. What kind of metrics were you looking at as it re relates to you understanding if this uh, the prototype was successful? So, like, what defined success for you when you were working with these customers through Slack? Well, the first one is: do they actually, when we present what we want to build, do they actually say that it's interesting and it's actually solving a problem for them? And the second one is: once they had one automation running and that they would see that it was actually producing something, um, how often and how fast they would ask for more automations. And uh, the result was pretty clear. Uh, it was not easy to get them to 
to to build the first automation. But once they did, then they would uh, they would ask for ten more uh, in the next uh, five days. Uh, so for for us, that was a clear indication that um, it was a strong a strong need. So once they once they got the experience of whoa, like if I put this automation together, this is tons of leverage for my business. Then that kind of opened the floodgates for you know all the requests to come through. Um, and then with that, how how are you guys managing those requests? Like what what uh, framework are you using to manage your product backlog and, and the roadmap? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, so first of all, I think it's we have a very strong vision of the product that we want to build. Um, and obviously we listen a lot to feedback from customers, uh, but we, we're very careful not to build things that are not part of the product we, we even eventually want to build, even though maybe, you know, two or three customers are asking for it. Um, so that, that's the first thing we really divide, uh, when a customer is asking something, uh, we really ask ourselves, is this part of what we want to build or not? If it's not, then, uh, let's just explain to them that this is not going to happen. Uh, and if it is, then let's assess whether um, it's something we should do earlier than uh, what we initially planned uh, to. And the other thing is uh, on that topic is we always prioritize requests from paying customers uh, and we, we listen to feedback from non-paying users, uh, but uh, we, we're not going to prioritize them unless we really think it's a great idea and, and we haven't thought about it before. Um, and the last thing is uh, we don't do it anymore, but at the beginning, a way for us to build more integration was um, to, to make customers pay for it. Uh, so if a, a customer wanted uh, an integration with HubSpot, for example, and that's an actual example, that's how we built HubSpot. But at the beginning, uh, then we would uh, ask them to pay for it, and that's a good way to to make sure it's not to make sure it's an actual need. Uh, if they pay for it, it means that they really need it. Uh, if they don't pay for it and just ask for it, maybe it's just because they thought about it for five seconds and thought maybe it would be cool to have it, but maybe they didn't really carefully uh, think about uh, about uh, how to use the, the integration. So actually pay for the work, not just say pay for the service once we build it, but you're saying pay for the, the development hours to build out that integration? Yeah, exactly. So those were one-off um, one uh, paying jobs. So they, they had the subscription that they were paying for for, for access to, to the software. And on top of that, if they wanted uh, to, us to build an integration with HubSpot, uh, then we would do it, but if they, if they were paying for it. How did you go about... Uh, developing these first relationships with these, you know, with these beta customers that were on Slack, like what was the, what was the pitch or how did you start, you know, finding those customers and developing those relationships? So the first part on how to find them, right. Uh, it was a lot of, I, I think the first six months of um, starting out action desk was pretty much no coding. Um, no prototyping, no designing, but just talking to a lot, a lot of potential users um, and really, you know, helping us gather our thoughts uh, around the product we wanted to build and the problem that existed in the market. So, and by doing that, it was not really intentional, but by doing that, then we already had a pool of people that already heard about what we were trying to build 
uh, and that were uh, a first pool of potential uh, first users. Um, a second thing to acquire was, um, you know, every startup is part of some communities, right? Whether it's uh, a, former, uh, a former school, an incubator, a co-working space, and, you know, just we just went and talked to a lot of people that were there uh, and see if they, they could be first users. And the th- a third thing we did uh, was some email outreach. Um, so the persona we had defined at the time was uh, basically a COO of a 10 to 100 uh, employees um, tech company. And uh, we just find, found those people uh, on, uh, on LinkedIn, uh, found their emails, and then just shoot them an email about what we were building and whether they were interested to, to trade out or not. Um, so that's for the acquisition part. Uh, the second, how once a person was interested uh, and became a user, uh, we were very close to them. We didn't have you know, hundreds of them. Of them, so we were, um, you know, extremely uh, responsive. Um, always trying to, um, to you know, to go to the next mile to satisfy them and really understand what uh, what their problems uh, were and whether our solution was was really helpful for them. Uh, so we, yeah, we had a Slack, um, a Slack workspace where we we had all of them. How did you come up with your pricing model? Like, do you mind telling us a little bit about how you, how the product is priced and how you thought about you know what the right price point was? Uh, that's a great question. So, the first thing I will say is that we are uh, it's still something we will work on, and I think it will iterate on that uh, over the next few years. Um, one, I think one of the best advice I've heard uh, it was not given to me personally, but that was from uh, Mark Andreessen, uh, who often says price high. And I think that's a very good advice because as, as a founder, when you start out, you're usually not very confident about what you're building because it's, you know, it's a prototype uh, and of course it doesn't look good and there are a lot of bugs um, and it's nowhere near what, what the product that you want to build. So you have a tendency to, uh, to, you know, to offer it for free uh, or to, to, to price it very low. And that's how we started. And, uh, we we changed that uh, for for several reasons. Um, the first one is the more the higher you price, uh, the the faster you're going to get a validation, right? Um, so when we change our pricing, we we started for free, and then it was like thirty dollars per month uh, with per company, which is nothing. And now the the cheaper plan is one hundred and fifty dollars, and actually our most popular plan. Um, is the one which is higher, which is uh, $350 per month. And once you have a few users paying that, then you know, you know you're not going to spend $350 per month if you're for a solution if you don't have an actual problem behind it. So it really validates that you, you're working on a real problem. Secondly, if you want to make you know, uh, $2,000 of MRR at $30 per month, that's that's really a lot of users at an average of $200, $250. Uh, that's not even 10, um, 10 customers. Um, so that that's kind of how we think about it. Uh, we and, and I think another thing is, and that's specific to the product we are building, but our product is very generic and flexible, which means that for now, we need to be quite close to our users at the beginning to make sure they understand how the tool works and how to get value from it. 
and that requires a lot of efforts. And if you have to, uh, you know, if you have to put that effort for every customer at thirty dollars per month, then it's not it's not really worth it. At two hundred dollars, uh, it is it is much more uh, worth it. And the last thing I will say about this is the quality of customer you get uh, when your price is five six times higher uh, is much better. Uh, people are just much more serious about really using your tool, really understanding how to get value from it uh, because they're spending $200 per month and and they're not going to spend it if they don't get value from it. Or whether if it's free or almost free, uh, they, they don't really care and they're not going to make as, as much effort. I think those are great anecdotes as it relates to pricing. Um, you know, especially in the early days, one, you want your unit economics to be stronger. So, um, you know, you can closer to whatever your uh, break even point is, but also to your point, you can always lower the price later or open up like a fully self service model that's that's significantly cheaper. And if you think about the job that you guys are kind of being hired to do, you, know, you look at it at a data analyst or even just like an entry level associate who would just be, you know, just crunching numbers or exporting and importing CSVs. You know, that's that could be five, six thousand dollars a month, um, depending upon where you're at. No, exactly. And I, I think, you know, since we made that change, I, I don't think there was ever one company, one user who, who really needed the product, but who said, I'm sorry, but it's too expensive. I, I don't think it ever happened. So you're, you're truly solving a need. And if they need it, you know, whatever, it's 150 bucks a month probably is, is pretty cheap if they think about all the time they're saving. Let's talk a little bit about some of the technologies that you're using. So do you mind just giving us an overview of... Um, you know, I guess we can start with the tools that you guys use. So what tools are you guys using for uh, product analytics and, um, you know, CRM or any sort of dashboarding? Like what is your, what, what stack do you run your business on currently? So we use, in terms of analytics, product analytics, we use uh, Segment and Mixpanel. And what, what specific functions do you use for both of those tools? Yeah, so we use Segment to, um, to uh, map uh, events in our app. Uh, that we then send to Mixpanel uh, through Segment. And then in Mixpanel, we have, we're able to track uh, all the all those events uh, for each user. So we know when, uh, you know, when the user, I think the most interesting thing for us right now is that we, when a user uh, encounters a um, an error, which means that it tries to do a formula that didn't work for some reason, uh, it uh, automatically triggers a Slack message to someone in the team, and then we can directly go on the chat on the app and see what's happening and, and uh, see whether we can help the, the user at that point. Uh, but more broadly than that, we, we really track any action that the user does on the app to really understand uh, you know, where, where they get stuck. Uh, if, if they started to build an automation, but they didn't finish. Uh, where where did they stop, uh, and why? And uh, then you know we still don't have you know we don't have thousands of users. Uh, so when that happens, we're able to talk to them, understand what happened, and that really help us uh, you know build the the roadmap. And then what are you guys using as it relates to like for CRM and customer development? Are you are you using a tool for for sales? Have you gotten to that? point yet or is it still pretty um you know high touch like still emails and and 
LinkedIn messages? No, so we see, we use uh, HubSpot for you know everything related to inbound marketing, to CRM, to um, to emailing. Um, in terms of chat solution, we use a, um, a solution called Crisp, um, which is pretty good. We use uh, obviously Action Desk. Uh, so thanks, thanks to Action Desk, we get um, typically all the data that the usage data that is that it is in mixed panel. Sorry, uh, we can uh, automatically get it in HubSpot. Uh, so that way, in the CRM, we know uh, you know when was the last time a user logged in, uh, when was the last time he tried to modify or build a workflow, and then we can have some business logic behind that. Uh, hey, this guy hasn't modify or created a new workflow um, for for 10 days uh, let's see what what's happening is he happy is he you know does he think that the solution is too hard to use uh, let's let's go see what happens so as you guys think about the future of action desk you know tell us a little bit about you know what you're working on maybe for the rest of the year and then I'd like to get what the big vision is like where where do you really see this thing going you know over the next you know three to four years? Kind of short and midterm, um, we're really working hard on the performance uh, side of things. So our conviction is that spreadsheets are very popular uh, because they're very flexible uh, and also because they give you an immediate feedback on what you are doing. So when you enter a formula, uh, you will see the result immediately if uh, for some reason you made a mistake, you will get the error immediately and you will be able to iterate on your on your formula, on your function until it works. And maybe you will try, you know, six or seven uh, iterations before it works. And maybe even at the end, you it will work, but you're not really sure why. But because you got immediate feedback, then it was really fast to iterate on it and to, to get it to work. And we think that's a really important uh, part of spreadsheets. And that's uh, something we're trying to reproduce on much uh, bigger volume of data. Um, so there's, there's a, big, a lot of work on that aspect of things. Uh, other than that, uh, we are increasing very fast the number of integration. That's probably right now our main bottleneck. Uh, you know, we have a lot of people on our waiting list uh, that we don't onboard yet because uh, they require some integration that we don't have yet. What are a few of those? Uh, I think the most requested right now, so we just released Mailchimp and Intercom that were um, that were requested a lot. Uh, I think next we have uh, Google Analytics uh, and Airtable has been requested a lot as well. So Mailchimp, Intercom, Google Analytics, and Airtable as kind of the next couple on the roadmap. Yeah, and then you have more analytics solutions. So typically Segment uh, has been requested a lot as well, but currently given their their API, it's it's a bit tough for us to to integrate with them, um, but yeah, you know, tools like Mixpanel, Amplitude, uh, etc. are requested a lot as well. To continue just on a roadmap, and another part is really the onboarding part. Uh, so right now we are onboarding manually each user. Uh, so we're doing a forty-five minutes call where we show them how to use the tool and to talk about their specific use cases and to try to set them up uh, together. And that's great for now. Um, and we continue doing that for quite a while. Uh, but progressively, we'll have to automate most of this uh, process. 
and be able to to reproduce the same thing, but uh, you know, completely self self serve. It's so like the uh, the superhuman approach. Have you have you do you follow superhuman at all? The email client. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I actually have a story about that. Um, so as some of your listeners might know, we launched on Product Hunt in February, got great traction there. And when we launched, we actually launched a, a public beta. So we're, we really opened the floodgates. And we realized after a few weeks that our, it was too soon, too early to, to do that. Surprise. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Um, and yeah, I mean, we had a, a shit ton of users uh, using the app, some of them not qualified, and we, we just, we were spread really thin to support, um, to support them. And because we, we didn't have this, you know, kind of automated onboarding, uh, then most of them didn't really figure out how to, how to use, uh, Action Desk. Uh, so after a few weeks, we, we made a strong move and decided to, to close the app and to go back to a kind of private beta. And we got, we, we were really inspired by the way Superhuman does it. And our current flow, onboarding flow, uh, looks uh, looks a lot like Superhuman. We obviously adapted it because the tool is different. Um, but yeah, I think the Superhuman onboarding, I've done it and, and it's really great. Uh, and I think it's it really, um, so we have a, now a set of um, number of users that we invite every week. And that way we really focused every week on world bonding them and making sure that uh, they're satisfied and that they're successful using Action Ask. And we can, we already saw that the conversion rate has, has increased like drastically uh, since, uh, since we did that. Amazing. Um, just for the listeners, so for those of you that don't know, uh, Superhuman is, is an email client that's getting a ton of buzz right now. But how they approach onboarding, if you think about most email clients, you know, you can download the app and you just can use it. Um, they are invite only at the moment still, I believe. And the only way you can get onboarded to the platform is if you set up an actual 45-minute one-on-one onboarding session with one of their um, you know, one of their onboarding specialists. And they go through a very detailed, you know, process where they talk through all of the use cases that you need out of the tool. They ask questions about how you're going to be using this email client. They show you all of the tips and tricks and features. And then even after that, you have a direct line of communication with them. And I think, you know, the, the goal is one to learn as much as possible from these early adopters. And two, as Jonathan was saying, you know, I think it supports a conversion rate, you know, significantly higher because users are fully educated on the product. So It'll be interesting to see as you guys scale and as Superhuman scales out, um, if that's a model they keep, if that if the economics work. Um, I mean, again, they're charging thirty bucks a month for an email client, and and Gmail is free, so there's probably some validity there to you know to what your story was is you know price high, price right for the experience that you want to deliver. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how how that model plays out at scale, uh, but I, I do think. You know, early on, there's a lot of benefits from from having that type of onboarding process for sure. Cool. So, Jonathan, I think we're about out of time, but this has been a great conversation. I think there's been a lot of great anecdotes for for our listeners. Um, where can they find you? Learn more about Action Desk. Find you online. Like, where? What are your handles? And and uh, you know, where should users go to check you out? 
Yeah, for sure. So for Action Desk, um, the website is actiondesk.io. Uh, you can follow uh, Action Desk on Twitter. Uh, so it at, it's at Action Desk. As for myself personally, uh, Twitter is the best the best channel as well. Uh, and I'm at uh, Joe Parizot. So it's J-O-P-A-R-I-S-O-T. Excellent. And I forgot to, meant to touch on this earlier. Um, can you t- where are you calling in from right now? So we're based in, uh, in Paris. In France. Excellent. Um, love Paris. It's real unfortunate about the uh, Notre Dame. Are you, were you guys clo- are you guys close to that? The cathedral? Yeah, so I actually, I actually saw the, uh, the fire burning um, live. I was coming back from where we work, uh, and it's just it's kind of on my way. Uh, it, was, it was really impressive and really, really sad to see. Fortunately, you know, the structure is not, is not destroyed, uh, so it will, it will uh, stay uh, it will keep on standing up and, uh, and we'll rebuild it. Yeah. That's, that's great to hear. Um, at first everyone was saying it was like burned to the ground, but after the real reports came out, it was really good to hear that, um, you know, the plan is, and I think a lot of money has been raised, but the plan is to, to rebuild it. So that's promising. Yeah. That's great. All right, Jonathan. Well, thanks so much for, um, for hopping on the pod with us. Um, you know, love your story and we're looking forward to seeing what you guys do here in the near future. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Man. Really appreciate it.